Hi, Dennis. How are you? Good morning, Katarina. Doing well. How about you? Good, good. Thank you. Uh, shall we wait a little bit or I'm not sure? Um, yeah, I said maybe we can wait a minute or two. Okay. I'm going to share the room in the meantime. And encourage others to do so as well if you would like. You can do that by hitting the square with arrow symbol on the bottom. Welcome, BA, Dr. Rayerson, Neil, Ken, Joran, if I'm saying that right, and Sinem. Thanks for joining us. We'll be getting started shortly. Okay, I think we can slowly start and then... Yeah, let's go. So on Monday, we had um, Dr. Spontag here, and you can see the paper here in the link. And um, Dr. Richard Spontag, he's a distinguished professor of chemical and biomolecular engineering. Um, at the North Carolina State University and uh, he he's a really amazing not just amazing scientist that won many awards but also um, amazing um, teacher and he won also awards for uh, being um, really involved in teaching and caring about his students personally um, Especially during COVID, he um, he was known. He is known for um, making a lot of effort to um, check on the students, how they are doing, and um, trying to have still kind of a community feeling. So I think that that's quite amazing that he's not just an outstanding researcher, but also um, a really great person. And um, yeah, he talked uh, about um, his research. Um, his paper's title is an integrated materials approach to ultra permeable and ultra selective CO2 polymer membranes. Um, so um, this advancement um, in technology will make, um, uh, it's basically the, the, um, the ground 
for um, having uh, increased CO2 permeability and also CO2 selectivity, which uh, increases basically for um, carbon capture um, by um, the technology uh, by more than 150 volts of um, this materials to being able to um, capture carbon and he made he didn't just make the conceptual experiments um, like as a model he also um, showed the characteristics the topological characteristics of his um, amine modified PDMS and PTFE uh, membranes um, in experiments um, and uh, you can check out all the details of his um, of the membranes he created and the performance of these membranes in the paper especially figure three and four and um, in the supplementary file that I merged here you can um, also check out um, a more detailed description of um, how the experiment was set up um, and how um, they looked at the FT with FTA, FTIR and ATIR spectra from the membranes um, if you want to have uh, way more detailed um, information high, res high resolution information about these membranes and figure S5 from the supplementary um, uh, PDF um, shows the experiment setup in pictures it's quite impressive I think um, to look at it and, and to get a feel for it how complex this is but um, to basically summarize, he really um, achieved a quite outstanding increase in carbon ca capture with these um, membranes he cre uh, they created. And they will also be very, you know, practi practically uh, implementable, so which is, which is really good. So it's not just the stage of a model it's really the stage of they made this membranes they they um, analyzed them and took to a lot of detail in a lot of detail and you know it's ready to go basically so i thought that was very impressive it would be really interesting to know if um he has ever collaborated with we had another speaker um, I forget his name right now, also working on um, on CO2 permeability in membranes. Do you recall the name? It wasn't yesterday. It was, I think it was the day before. Oh, Dr. Singh. Yeah, he also collaborates with uh, companies to actually do that. Yeah. 150x. That's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. And he's such a great and nice guy also so it's that's the perfect combination and um yeah if anyone has any questions about uh what we are discussing please raise your hand uh or uh, write in the room chat 
um, with questions or if you want me to share the files but yeah with this uh, if you click on the link i think you can just download the the pdf here so if you would like to and we can move on to the next guest speaker who was dr finger and he is a surgeon and researcher he's a md phd and um he uh, as a surgeon he works mostly on transplants and um he um he's a um he did his masters at harvard medical school uh, and in his residency at the massachusetts general hospital in boston and um now he's a associate professor um, and he mostly does transplants of kidney liver and pancreas and pancreas islet transplantation to cure um, diabetes and um, a big problem is um, in the field is the to basically have these islands um, this pancreatic islands survive for a while until you can transplant them. And um, this paper here, uh, this or uh, and also as presentation. If you look at the presentation, um, it's um, yeah he explains really well um, why it is so important to focus on tissue preservation. Um, because um, these um, pancreatic isolates, they are really um, not, yeah, they are really um, um, sensitive to temperature fluctuation. And um, he, um, the, he and his lab members, they found a way to um, develop a protocol that will um, make these pancreatic isolates um, viable even if you would freeze them to preserve them for a while and um, they describe here um, the cryoprotective agent cocktail they came up with uh, which is um, really interesting and um, so you you can check this out and then he shows in the figures um, that adding the specific compounds especially dmso and sucrose and eg um, decrease basically this ice crystals that would form and perforate the membranes of the cells and um, so and also another important part of the protocol was to um, to have a really rapid cooling and then to have a specific rewarming rate at um, and you can you can check that out um, in the figure in the figures um, yeah they then analyzed in very different ways how these isolates would perform after this uh, freezing and rewarming and they looked at cell specific uh, viability and functionality 
uh, and compared these different uh, protocols and um, came up with a protocol that is really um, ideal for the recovery of these isolates. And this will enable um, really on a larger scale uh, for people to receive these um, pancreatic islands um, to basically cure diabetes. So um, that's quite impressive. And um, he's also collaborating with um, other labs that are working on um, creating uh, pancreatic islets from adult stem cells uh, to in the future so that in the future patients don't have to take any immune suppressant um, drugs after this transplant. So yeah, they're actively working on that. Apparently they have a lot of funding because they were very, very successful. And uh, yeah, Jamie, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, did he mention at all um, when this is actually going to be um, rolled out for people to start making uh, immunities to uh, or curing uh, diabetes all over the place. Could you give a timeline? Well, it is very expensive. He's already doing that to do these transplants uh, for people. The, um, it's it's just very expensive right now. Um, and, um, you know, it's probably not on a large scale yet. And, you know, you have to have also a surgeon that's very well trained on this and uses the protocol. Um, so, yeah, hopefully more surgeons will, will start using this, but um, he, he are, is already using this. And can he, um, uh, can it be used on anybody with type 1 or type 2 diabetes or is this, is this a preventative thing? No, no, it's not preventative, it's to cure diabetes. Right, so if you've got a level two diabetes, just he's been working on this. Yes. Yeah. I also I also remember him actually saying he started working on um the pancreas. Was it the, the pancreas because he was looking at simpler organs to work on about transplanting, wasn't he? Because he started off by talking about looking at the leg, and he was like, "That's way too complicated. Let's start with something simple." And he went to the kidney, didn't he? Because it was a um, simple connection to the rest of the body. And that had him talking about uh, all of the work he was doing about keeping the, uh, the 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 cells like able to transplant and everything. It was really quite a fascinating talk. Yeah, yeah. He he was supposed to collaborate with military uh, people uh, to transplant like whole body parts, but um, yeah, that's relatively controversial because you really need to be on really um, very um, very strong uh, anti like immune suppressants um, and you have artificial legs that uh, can do that and you don't risk your life over time with being on these drugs so yeah but um, for late stage um, diabetes where you have really people then dying of um, legs that you know tissue that is dying off <clears throat> with age um, this this is really um a trade that people would make because people after years get blind they lose limbs and so on due to diabetes so having this option is really um 
yeah, a, a really great uh, way of extending life and preventing these issues. It was really Sorry, it was really interesting to hear him describe all of the physiology and the mechanics of the process. I had never heard anything like that before, so that was really interesting to me. Okay, then let me go to the next talk we had, um, and that was on Friday, Dr. Singh. Just get his paper. There it is. Okay. So he is at the University of Illinois and um, he's really also a quite amazing and accomplished um, um, physicist and engineer. Um, so he he's in the Division of Material Science and Engineering at the, um, oh, wait a second, <laughs> I think, yeah. So, um, and, um, he uh, is working on also on artificial um, photosynthetic systems for integrated carbon capture and conversion. Um, and he achieved also not just in the model but also in um, real experiments uh, a quite uh, amazing way of carbon capture that you could um, use uh, in all kinds of different settings, um, even at the scale of a home humidifier, basically. And it was quite affordable and um, at the acceptable rate of uh, CO2 carbon capture. And um, yeah, I was really impressed with his work and he also created the company and is uh, working on scaling this technology uh, to use this in different settings um, at specific extreme climates to use this for huge buildings um, to basically renew the, um, the um, to capture the carbon of like where huge crowds are assembling and uh, instead of using an AC basically use this technology um, and um, yeah for um, for big scales where um, big companies would basically use this um, so I think it was really cool because it's a really affordable scale and uh, technology that you know is not really out of reach anymore we could implement that rather sooner than later. And, and I really like that. And he's collaborating also with his colleague that they won the prize for um, from Elon Musk's initiative. I forgot what the name was, something with X for carbon capture. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I'm really um, 
yeah, this makes me really hopeful. <laughs> work like this, work like his and his colleagues uh, to, to achieve carbon capture in the next few years in a way that makes sense, basically. And when he's using this in buildings, is this going to be something that's going to be coated like in the walls or on the surface or how is that? I was wondering, how is that going to work? Is it going to, is it going to be like you walk into a building and it's got nice clean air now because all the humans breathing out the CO2, this would be filtering it out and, and just cleaning the place up? So he explained that it's kind of um, a size of, would be a size of a bookshelf that would be instead of basically an AC. Um, I don't know if you know how big buildings have their um, ACs built. Um, so I would assume, like he talked about the size where exactly it would be in the building, but I would assume that it's at the same spot buildings now have the ACs on top, these huge buildings, and there it would like basically perform instead of having these ACs that um, run on energy, but they just, you know, they cool down the air, but don't capture uh, the carbon and take it out of the air. Um, yeah, that these devices would be there instead of using a uh, standard AC. That is going to be amazing. I bet we're going to find like health of the people in the building just starting to improve in various ways. This is the kind of thing that seems really small and unimportant, but it's actually quite, quite big. Everyone should check that one out for sure. Yeah, yeah, he has amazing work and he's studying amazing collaborations with this technology. So I agree this will be, um, yeah, very helpful, especially for extreme climates. He said where he's from, um, it's getting really hot in Pakistan and India um, and the air quality is really low. So having these devices running um, ideally on renewable energy would be um would be really, you know, a huge step. Um, and then also in extreme cold climates, that would also make a lot of sense, um, where you kind of have to regulate the air temperature and quality. Um, yeah, it would make a lot of sense in those buildings, yeah. The really interesting things to me were, one, his, uh, when we were going through his personal journey, it started off as his father was a superintendent at an oil, ref oil refinery in India. And it's very um, typical for people to continue the family business. So it was very exciting to see him progress forward rather than staying in hydrocarbons, moving to renewables and working on uh, carbon capture. The the facility that they're going to be building in South Chicago, or I believe is in progress, it's supposed to be um, operational sometime this year. They're looking at capturing 75 kilograms per hour of CO2, and those rates are really interesting. The other really interesting thing is that ideally they're looking at, he had said that one adult expels one kilogram of CO2 per day, I believe it was. And with his units, 
they're able to move that to a net zero. So they're able to cancel out all of the exhalations from humans wherever these are deployed in, inside of the space. So that's definitely exciting. Yep, I agree. So I really wish him all the funding <laughs> and all the luck to to continue with this because I think it's really inside society. Inside society, we don't wish them all the best. We wish them all the funding. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the least with for, an bureaucracy with an emphasis <laughs> on the fun. Yes, fun funding and low bureaucracy hurdles. That's what we wish our speakers will have. <laughs> And then um, yesterday we had a really amazing talk and room with Dr. Barak Shoshani. Um, he is a theoretical physicist um, and he gave an amazing talk yesterday and he's at the Perimeter Institute for uh, Theoretical Physics. Um, and. Um, yeah, he, he's a trained mathematician and computational physicist at um, the Brock University in St. Catharines in Ontario, uh, Canada. And his work focuses on the nature of time, causality, and general relativity and quantum mechanics, um, as well as symbolic and high-performance scientific computing. He published, you know, a lot of um, work and received awards and he was a really great speaker he explained um, different theories um, related to faster than light travel and time travel that is his passion and his work um, and explained uh, I'll hear a lot of um, you know basic science theories and how um, he and his students are trying to um, tackle and prove that faster than light travel would be possible and also do the math for it and not just um, in language, he said, but also in math. <laughs> and it was quite an impressive talk um, that, um, yeah, that will hopefully advance our speed and traveling. Uh, he explained why it's so important in the future if you really want to expand to different planets and um, colonize uh, the universe, basically, um, that uh, without doing this, it would take generations after generations to get to places. And he said he personally would prefer to see the place himself, <laughs> not just be a whole to spend a whole life, birth and death on a, um, some sort of vehicle um, that is traveling. So, um, and for that, um, his most impressive one was to basically create a bubble that can, um, that is compressed and expanded to manipulate the compression and the expansion of space-time. Uh, so you would basically not have any human 
like g-force impact on the human so it would be completely safe um, that was for example one thing that i thought was really great and impressive and i said i want a bubble already right now <laughs> but yeah jamie go ahead yeah this particular talk it cannot be overstated how absolutely incredible it was anyone listening to this right now who who can do it stop listening to me right now and go and listen to the recording it is so so good this is for the sci-fi aficionados and the science nerds alike you can join together hand in hand we have everything it has wormholes it has warp bubbles it has time dilation it has paradoxes he covers all of these things he only just brushes on the surface he's got links to his youtube videos where he's talking about it he was given information on where they might go next with this he was talking about all the potential that there could be for this a lot of this He's theoretically giving solid, solid evidence that it might be possible, certain aspects of it. Um, the only problem is we're, we're really quite tied by our technology just now, and there's still a lot about the universe we are discovering. So still a lot to go, um, but so incredibly exciting. I cannot stress this enough. Listen to it, listen to it, listen to it. <laughs> That's the first time you said that like this. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I agree. It was, it was a great one. That was definitely very enthusiastic, and I, I agree with you. The really interesting thing to me, there were two interesting things to me, uh, time dilation discussion that seemed to be um, kind of novel to a lot of people, and it was very exciting to hear the, the excitement for that. And then I had asked what, you know, theoretically, how much energy would be involved in creating <laughs> this faster-than-light travel. And uh, I think his, his answer was all of the energy that is contained in the planet of, I think it was Saturn, but, you know, some, some, ma like some massive amount of energy. So it's going to, we have to figure that, that little detail out first, but very exciting. 100%. And he was also bringing up, what was it called again? I keep thinking of it as antimatter, but it wasn't antimatter he was talking about. Exotic was it? matter. It was, um, yeah exotic matter see i mean even when i'm plugging it with all of the things i think about there were still things i was missing out this is something everybody must must read there you have no time to to, to spare you have to listen to it <laughs> listen about time travel and exotic matter Absolutely. <laughs> and in 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 some senses exotic matter um is potentially antimatter. Antimatter is is this concept from Star Trek, but the idea is about negative states of matter. So you could sort of call it antimatter, but the the official term is exotic matter. Yeah, I didn't want to actually call it antimatter in case I got the unless there was some kind of reason why they didn't actually use antimatter um instead of exotic um we didn't get the chance to ask him the specifics on that there were so many other questions to ask um also did i mention to everyone listening listen to it listen to it listen to it okay that's me <laughs> okay i think that was our week um it was 
quite remarkable and we will continue with a very remarkable room tomorrow at 1 p.m. EST. Um, he, Dr. Federico Felici, he's um, in Switzerland at the Plasma Center and um, he will talk about um, controlling plasma for nuclear fusion with uh, deep learning. And I just met with him to talk about um, how it's going to go tomorrow. And he most likely also the Google team that was working on this uh, will also be here. Um, so um, yeah, it's a, he is a really um, very accomplished um, nuclear uh, plasma physicist. Uh, that works in nuclear fusion and uh, control engineering. And as I said, he's at the Swiss Plasma Center, uh, EPFL. And yeah, he will talk about um, his work uh, tomorrow at 1 p.m. EST and uh, also inviting the Google team um, that was collaborating with him on this. And uh, then we'll have in the evening Dr. Bolton she will talk about her um, me mental illness related research and how early life stress um, indu induces glia dysfunction and, and how that um, that works. Uh, glia are basically being rediscovered. Uh, a lot of focus in the last decades and neuroscience was on neurons only and glia were kind of largely ignored. Uh, and now we are discovering more and more details about how uh, glia contribute and actively participate in, in, um, in brain activity and also mental illnesses, how they are highly involved and learning about this will hopefully bring us forward in understanding mental illnesses better and treating them better in the future. And then on Wednesday, we'll have Dr. Bulani. Uh, he will talk about gut bacteria that are different gut bacteria and how they are associated with different. I'm sorry, I had the call coming in. I hope you did. Did you hear that? Uh, yeah, we, we had your gut bacteria, gut bacteria and individual. Yep. A different uh, personality traits. And then on Thursday at 1 p.m. EST, we have a researcher from the UK, Dr. Giveline, who will talk about mitochondria transplantation between living cells. That's really the key for rejuvenation if we can do that, because uh, over time, the mitochondria are uh, the energy um, house. Basically, they produce energy for us to live. And with aging, the performance and the mutation rates are really high in the mitochondria and the performance goes down. And um, while producing ATP for us, um, there is basically more and more pollutants will be released over time uh, and free radical um, leak. And um, basically transplanting healthy, um, Mitochondria uh, is one of the keys um, that also Aubrey de Grey, a, a big person, a 
and, and rejuvenation research um, pointed that out many times and he achieved this uh, and um, yeah this will open up and and also different disorders are hypothesized to be due to um, mitochondria that are not working at the their best performance uh, with the least free radical release so this will be really an amazing one um, I'm really looking forward to it and then we'll have um, on Thursday Dr. Ulian coming um, talking about biomolecule mixes and how they can communicate interact and adapt to the environment um, independently and on Friday we'll have a fun room um, how dogs recognize dog and human emotions. And on Saturday, we have um, another technology room about with Dr. Cheng, and she will um, tell us about how she used molecular orbital-based machine learning to um, improve machine learning performance. Um, yeah, so it will be a really amazing week. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, thanks everyone for coming and I'm looking forward to having you again here soon. Thanks for joining us everybody and next week is going to be absolutely fantastic. Be sure to be here with as many rooms as you can and we will see you again next week for a summary for those of you who are just a little bit too busy. But until then, take care everyone. Okay, yeah. Thank you. Bye, everyone. I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye.